0: This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church.
1: Good morning. Uh, It's been a while um, uh, since I've preached here at this pulpit. Uh, I've been focused on organizing and leading the TUI worship service and its liturgy, uh, which also, uh, while also uh, maintaining uh, Sojourn Ministry, which is our college ministry. Uh, By the way, uh, I want to congratulate uh, to all of our college students who finished their spring semester and their finals. All right, let's give them a hand. Uh, Congratulations, you are done. Uh, Hopefully, all of you guys are done. If not, uh, we'll be praying for you still. And uh, Soldier Ministry wants to invite you to our Welcome Back event, which will be held on Friday, uh, May 28th. Uh, So Facebook event will be sent out, so be on the lookout for that. And I want to especially congratulate also to those of you who graduated uh, and Soldier Ministry wants to invite you to our senior night, uh, which will be held on Friday, June 4th. Uh, and we will take that time to honor our graduates uh, and give you the opportunity to share a bit about your college experience and help you to meet Pastor David Moon uh, and some E attendees so that you can uh, transition into the next stage of your life here at KCPC. So congratulations uh, to to those of you who are, uh, yeah, graduated and you're ready for the next stage of your life. And uh, we also would like to uh, remind those of you within Sojourn and college students uh, to sign up for our summer community groups. All this will be posted up on our Sojourn Ministry Facebook group page. So if you still haven't, please go there and sign up. And that would really help us out a lot in planning and organizing all the community groups. So having said all of those, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. It is through him that we draw near to you. It is through him we draw near to one another. And God, we are gathered here as a body of Christ, friends in Christ. And yet, Lord, there there are many obstacles, many things that we struggle with, Heavenly Father. So God, would you speak to us through your word, and may you use my lips uh, so that, Lord, your spirit may work within the hearts of our congregation, that we would indeed pursue true gospel-centered friendship within this community. We thank you once again for your son, and for your spirit, and for you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Pastor John Huang uh, preached on the gospel-centered marriage a couple weeks back. Uh, Pastor Sam Lee and Pastor David Moon preached on the gospel-centered family uh, during the all-family worship last week. Um, And we're continuing this series with the topic of gospel-centered friendship today. Since I am the only unmarried ordained minister in the EC team, I have the privilege, not the burden, privilege of sharing about this topic. Now, please don't mentally check out if you are married or whatever. Um, This topic of friendship applies to every single one of us. Uh, Because friendship should exist in all meaningful relationships. Because friendship can exist between a parent and a child, between an employer to an employee, between siblings, and obviously between members of the spiritual community. Because friendship by definition is a mutual affection between people, right? So today's message will be more topical in nature, so Although, yeah, we will lightly touch upon the meaning of the passage, uh, we will really focus and hone in on the idea of gospel-centered friendship. And we will divide today's message into three sections uh, for those of you who like to take notes. First, the necessity of the gospel-centered friendship. And number two, the nature of the gospel-centered friendship. And finally, the nourishment the gospel-centered friendship. So necessity, nature, nourishment. So first, necessity of gospel-centered friendship. Why do we need friendship in the first place? Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning. After God had created everything and mankind, the one thing that was considered as not good was for the man, for Adam, to be alone. Remember, this is before sin entered into the world, before everything was broken, right? So, to feel lonely is actually not only normal, but a part of our original design without community, right? You and I were created, designed to be in relationships. And that's why God created Eve for Adam, not ultimately to be Adam's wife, but to be a helper, partner, and a friend to Adam. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone so clearly? We see that the scriptures value friendship. The authors of the book called How People Change, some of you might be familiar, uh, add this. At one level, we want friendships. At another level, we don't want them. In creation, we are made to live in community, but because of the fall, we tend to run from the very relationships we need. Quite often, our longing for them is tainted by sin. We pursue them only as as long as they satisfy our own desires and needs. We have a love-hate relationship with relationships. The Bible recognizes its profound tension, but still places our individual growth in grace in the context of the body of Christ. The scriptures call us to be intimately connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fellowship is an essential ingredient for lasting change. The work of redemption involves our individual relationship with Christ alongside our relationships with others. So that's a big mouthful there. Um, But all that is to say, on another level, we need gospel-centered friendship because because of our fallen nature in order to restore even our broken relationships with one another and even with God. Now, my, my guess is that most of us here probably agree that yeah we need gospel-centered friendship yeah it's this is good right however the question that i want to challenge you is do you have a gospel-centered friendship in your lives who are the closest friends that you have and how would you characterize them what do you guys talk about the most what is the basis for your friendship for some of you, friendship is very casual, surface level. It's merely you know, based upon just mutual interests or activities or whatever you guys do together, right? Now, I'm not saying that you have to be close friends with everyone within the spiritual community, within this church. However, what I am asking you to do is to reevaluate your friendships. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Because according to Proverbs, true friends aren't that many. You may have a lot of acquaintances, and you may have thousands of friends on Facebook, followers on Instagram. But how many of your friends can you trust with your, even your life? How many of your friends are you truly close to, who truly knows you, and who you truly know? Because most of the people that we know are companions. It can be argued that friendship is more important than marriage and family. Do you want to be a great family member, a great son, daughter, parent? Do you want to be a great spouse? Do you want to be a great employee? Do well in your friendships. Because friendships require you to invest, even when you don't need to, right? But with family, with you know, imp- as an employer, a- employer or employee, right? As a spouse, you have responsibility. You have to love them. You have to serve, right? But friendship, you don't have to, but you still choose to. And yet it requires you to invest and doing friendships well will prepare you for your other relationships. Because good marriage relationships and good family relationships require friendships within these relationships. According to Proverbs, friend is someone that can be even closer than family. Now, I know some of you have family members that, you know, let alone close, that you cannot even trust. And I am so sorry that that's what you're going through and that that is your current experience right now. And this is why some of us, we trust our friends more than our family. But I want to encourage you, brother and sister, in this spiritual family, we can build friendship how much more we'll be able to get a taste of heaven when we exercise deep friendship here and now. And how do we do this? Join a student group. Join a community group, as Pastor David has been really encouraging all of us, right? Even amidst the family unit, the family member uh, that is most trustworthy is the one who you can share friendship with. The one who is willing to listen to you. The one who is willing to share his or her life with you. And this is why God provided for us the family in Christ. Yes, even family in Christ is not perfect, but I want to encourage you to reach out for help. I want you to know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who want to develop meaningful friendship with you. So I urge you, I encourage you to. I want to ask, a, friend. Uh, I want to ask uh, sorry, a question to all of us. Can you be friends with the opposite gender? Have you thought about that? Um, the short answer that I have is, yes, you can be friends. The fact of the matter is that even Jesus Christ himself had very close friends of the opposite gender. Like who? Mary and Martha, right? He was so close to them that when Lazarus, their brother, passed away, he wept with them. Not only that, dare I say, you need to have friends of the opposite gender, people who are different from you, because we need one another. I mean, one of the great blessings that I saw in intergender small groups was that the guys and the girls were able to balance one another in the dynamics of the group, right? So in my past small group experience, the sisters were generally a lot more you know, in tune with their emotions and were able to articulate that better. Uh, better. So it definitely challenged me as a dude who struggles, uh, still struggles, with understanding and expressing my emotions. So this was a great thing. And of course, there are boundaries within, you know, between both genders. So obviously, it's probably not wise to talk about your struggle with lust in detail with the opposite gender. However, both genders can definitely connect and develop intimate friendship without it having to be romantic. So for those of you who are single or unmarried, please do not see the opposite gender within your spiritual community as merely potential girlfriend, boyfriend, and spouse. Treat them with the kind of friendship you would normally give. I mean, what has personally helped me, especially when I was in college, uh, was seeing the girls in my fellowship as my own sisters, which is very much the reality if we are in Christ, right? And please do not waste your singleness. I I half-jokingly, uh, tell my college students this all the time. You are celibate until you're married. Which is basically saying, focus less on desperately seeking for a romantic partner, but focus on pleasing the Lord. Focus on working hard at whatever is in front of you. Focus on building friendship with the people, with the relationship that's already been given to you right now. I mean, apostle Paul says so too, that unmarried individuals can do far more for the Lord. So please look at this as an opportunity for you. So for those of you who are single, invest into good friendships now. And I guarantee you that it will be invaluable for you, even after you find a romantic partner and have a family of your own. Another question. Can we have a close friendship with unbelievers? Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? This verse is not saying that unbelievers are sinless. Or rather, it's not saying that the believers, us Christians, are sinless. Rather, what we value and our worldview on the most fundamental level are incompatible with the values and the worldviews of the unbelieving world. For example, in relational conflict, there's no substantial reason for unbelievers to continue the broken relationship, right? Leave the toxic people behind and move on. While for us believers, we are commanded by Jesus to forgive. For we were the very toxic people who were richly forgiven by God. Also, please don't misunderstand. Believers can definitely share even deep friendship with unbelievers because the unbelievers are also made in the image of God. And so they possess the capacity to love, to share, to care, to know, to feel, to relate, to be intimate. However, no matter how much you click with your unbelieving friends, no matter how comfortable you are with them, it is impossible to share the deepest part of our identity and goal in life. If you ask unbelievers why they do what they do, why do they work so hard, why do they try to be successful, you will often run into answers of, for my happiness, for my family, for my standards, human flourishing but for believers like us we can only say our most foundational basic goal in everything we do is to glorify god to make much of him and to spread the name of christ this is something you and i cannot share with unbelievers so although you can have friendship even deep friendship with unbelievers You cannot have fellowship with them. Fellowship is a companionship based upon what we agree upon, our values, our worldview. Friendship is a companionship that even despite disagreements, you can share. And this is why we clearly label and define gospel-centered friendship. Now, if you are not a Christian tuning in or any of you who are here, And you're listening to this message please don't misunderstand we are so thankful that you are here Um, we truly want to welcome you to our church however please please understand where we're coming from that the ultimate reason why we want to build friendship with you is to love you and for us christians to love you is to desire the highest achievable good for you which is to know Christ and to trust him. And this is also so that you would be able to join us in the eternal friendship and fellowship that we'll share
0: perfectly.
1: So our prayer for you is that you would behold the beauty and the worthiness of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me or any of the pastors or anyone here at KCPC. So back to us believers. Perhaps for some of us, we really need to seek out gospel-centered friendships around us. This does not mean that you have to make a whole new set of friends, unless all of your friends are non-Christians. But simply look around you, literally look around you. (laughs) Obviously here at KCPC, and ideally in your, once again, student groups or community groups for college students, or perhaps for your believing fellow roommate family member, your coworker, classmate, or our fellow believers. However, having, uh, having said all of this, it's not only necessary for us to seek gospel-centered friends, but also to become gospel-centered friends, right? Which leads us to our second point, the nature of the gospel-centered friendship. Jesus, in this passage, John chapter 15, gives us a, a glimpse of what gospel-centered friendship looks like. So, what is the essence of such friendship, at least in this passage? Well, first, verse 12, if you look with me throughout the passage, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, point, number, point one in this, gospel-centered friends love one another. And I'm sure this must be very obvious to us, As we also see Proverbs uh, chapter 17, 17, which affirms a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This talks about commitment and consistency in our friendship. And we can see even the glimpse of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love passage to get an idea of what it means for us to love one another. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, boast, arrogant, or rude, doesn't insist its own way not irritable, resentful, etc. Sometimes, for example, friendship will require one's patience, especially when someone is going through some rough time, whether it's a breakup, family issues, sin issues, and it's it's so easy to give up when changes seem so slow, when situations seems to not, you know, change. So what does it look like further for us to love one another as friends? And how do we do this exactly? Well, Jesus continues in the following verses in verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And at first you may think, wait, I have to lay down my life for my friends? I mean, isn't this too much for just friendship?" I mean, is it saying that if you're not willing to take a bullet for your friends, then it's not true friendship? And I think, you know, that might be a too dramatic of a thinking, but to simply put, what Jesus Christ demonstrates here in this text is that friendship is costly. Friendship is costly. Gospel-centered friends love one another sacrificially, right? It costs something, right? Building friendship costs not just money, time, energy, especially even in the midst of our busy schedules and for those of us who are more um, introverted, it also costs personal convenience, personal comfort. What can I get out of this friendship? Right? This is a worldly way of thinking, right? How they approach friendship. But how can I give, serve in this friendship? This is the focus and the mindset of a friend transformed by the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, count others more significant than yourselves. Even Jesus came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. Some of you need to um, forgive and reconcile with a friend or someone who used to be friend. And you know what forgiveness is? Uh, According to Ken Sandy uh, in Peacemakers, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Uh, So, for some of us, we will have to decide, choose to forgive every single day, every morning you wake up. And he also says this, that it's an idea where you pay for the offense that someone else has done against you. That's what forgiveness is. I'm going to pay for your offense against me. In essence, that's what Christ did for us, right? Now, I want to make it clear, too. Sacrificial love is good. However, please, please note that you must also be healthy. Take a good care of yourself as well. One should take care of himself so that he can sacrifice himself, right? If you're unhealthy, physically or mentally, You don't have the capacity, you don't have the ability to love people sacrificially, right? One of the many things that my mother taught me growing up was, John, you have to be healthy. If you're not healthy, you can't do anything. And she said that in Korean, obviously. Um, And that is so true, right? If you're not healthy, you can't even sacrificially do or give anything for anyone because someone else has to take care of you. And so, please don't misunderstand what we mean by give yourself sacrificially. Jesus continues in verse 14 You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus here is not saying that their, the disciples' obedience is what makes them friends, but is what characterizes the friendship. So, Jesus is not saying, Oh, you did not do what I tell you to do? You're not my friends anymore. Rather, what he is saying is that your obedience proves that you are Jesus' friends. Good friends are those who you ask for a favor and doesn't, right? Even if it's inconvenient. So what happens when these disciples all do what Jesus commands? Here's another idea. Gospel-centered friends obey God together. Gospel-centered friends obey God together. Another way to describe this is gospel-centered friends share fellowship together, right? But fellowship over what? Acts chapter two, verse 42 uh, to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. An awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions belongings distributing and proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising god having favor with all the people and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved gospel-centered friendship shares in glorifying worshiping god together as we mentioned earlier they devote themselves to the word of god to prayer even Lord's Supper. They give testimonies to one another as they see the signs and wonders being done in their lives of the community and the gospel Center friendship. They gather together as we have here, as an assembly, just like here and now, and also in your soon groups and your community groups, right, and so on and so forth, right? Generosity, sharing food together, sharing a common interest, goal, task, is a prime factor in which we make friends, right? But what do you share with your current friends? There's a quote by C.S. Lewis, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest." and you get the point there. And church, what are you absorbed in together, side by side with your current friends? Let's move on to verse 15. Jesus continues, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus not only shares about himself to his disciples, You know here but we know that jesus also shares himself with his disciples by spending a considerable amount of time with them throughout his life of ministry because making known to them is not just informational but personal so gospel-centered friendship share personally with one another gospel-centered friendship share personally with one another Good friends share openly and personally with one another, right? About whatever that's going on in our lives, right? Um, Perhaps for many of us, friends are who we go to when anything good or bad happens, right? To bear one another's burdens. How can we be friends if we do not know about one another? And I know that some of you may hesitate to share about what's going on in your heart, in your lives. And perhaps you've been hurt, disappointed, betrayed, um, because a friend disclosed what you shared, you know, personally and privately. It was supposed to be confidential. And so, yes, we must be careful about what we share with whom we share. I, I, I tell this to my students a lot. And so, the call of God for us is not to simply use wisdom in sharing, but His call for us is that we need to search for good and trustworthy friends whom we can share our lives with. Friends in Christ, can I push you to share deeply with your gospel centered friends about your hardships, about your specific sin struggles? can I encourage you to let them into your thoughts, into your emotions? Because intimacy can be, and not just can be, but also must be shared between gospel-centered friends. Because in Christ, we are literally friends forever. Right? This is why even in your time with your spiritual friends, even, if, even when your time is short, and you never get to see them on this side of eternity, we will continue where we left off in eternity, right? Do we believe that, church? Even the broken spiritual friendships that you weren't able to reconcile on this side will be restored, perfected in the new heavens and new earth. Do we believe that? And from verse 15, we also see good gospel centered friends also speak into each other's lives, right? Speaks. Proverbs 27, verse 5 through 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Good and honest friends speak the hard truths at times because they care for one another. They truly love one another, even at the risk of offending the friend or even losing the friendship. because the reality is our hearts are above all else deceitful. We are often blind to our sinfulness, so we need rebuke and correction of a good friend. It would be a terrible friend, right, to have that friend always agree with you and never challenge you. Of course, there's a clear difference between a friend who lovingly rebukes versus a friend who simply nags at you, right? But there's also a clear difference between speaking about the friend versus speaking directly to the friend. Proverbs 16, verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Gossip is a huge factor that leads to broken friendships. And church, I want to... I want to encourage us to, let's make it a practice of not talking about people who are not present as much as possible. Yes, of course, it's always nice to say nice things about people who aren't present you know, when, you know, when they're not here. However, let's make it our habit, let's make it our practice of focusing on the people in front of us. Simply talk to them, right? Get to know them. Instead of gossiping, Talk to the person. Ask them directly. Because a good friend is willing to speak truth into your life because he is on your side. Because a good friend loves you. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Right? From First Corinthians chapter 13 again. Someone who is nice to you all the time is not your friend. At least not a close one. One of the best encouragements I receive uh, from my college students, um, when they write me a note or whatever, or you know, send me an a encouraging message, is uh, Pigeon, thank you for being a great pastor and friend. Because I try very hard, <laughs> believe it or not, to befriend my students uh, before I identify myself as their pastor. I don't even introduce myself as a pastor. (laughs) I just say, oh, hi, I'm John. Um, Because I don't want them to see me simply as a pastor who just tells them how to live their lives, to believe in Jesus and do all these things. I want them to see me as someone who genuinely loves them and cares for them and that I'm on their side. So yes, I do speak into their lives when I have the opportunity to do so. But I also spend the time required to acquaint myself with them, to demonstrate to them that I am for them and not against them. Verse 16, as we continue, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus makes it clear here that he chose his disciples intentionally, right? Jesus didn't just kind of naturally become friends with them. He purposefully chose and appointed them. So another reality that we see, another nature we see is gospel-centered friends are deliberate, intentional with one another. Not just deliberate, but purposeful. And this is not just about being deliberate about whoever I want and whoever I feel comfortable with. But the deliberation here is whoever I believe will mutually be beneficial and edifying in our walk with the Lord. Gospel-centered friendship or spiritual friendships are not always natural. I mean, it would be great if it's natural, and sometimes it is. Great. You can celebrate over that. But often, it requires deliberate effort. You have to kind of go out of your way. And oftentimes, when you do make the deliberate effort, it becomes more and more natural as you share more things together, right? And when you do that, when you put that into practice, you'll also actually find yourself becoming more flexible and able to connect with various kinds of people, right? First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul says, becoming all things to all people to be able to relate, right? One of the most astounding things you'll notice about Jesus is that he deliberately, intentionally, consciously chooses to interact with the people that he shouldn't be interacting with. One example, Jesus approaches the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Because in those times, Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another. It was similar to the segregation that we saw in the American history. This was an absurd and even scandalous encounter at the time. And this is between a man and a woman, too. True biblical friendship is able to break through gender, race, race, culture, social barriers, and status. And perhaps many of us are too comfortable with the kind of friends that we have. Perhaps you're friends with them simply because they look like you, They like the same thing as you, Um, you just connect with them. Although friendship is valued in our culture, most individuals do not consider friendship as the most important relationship. Because for most people, romantic relationship, family relationship, neighborly relationships are the most important. But friendship is not like that. It's not a necessity in our lives. It is the only relationship that you must be intentional about and choose to invest in without any sense of obligation. Completely voluntary. have to be deliberate. For some of you, friendship is very exclusive. So anyone different from you, you know, even if they try to get to know you, you exclude them. How easy it is for us to get so comfortable with our own exclusive friend groups. No wonder people do not grow. They're not challenged. If marriage is the avenue in which you grow in depth, relationally, then friendship is the avenue in which you grow in width. It expands your horizon. And so we cannot be picky and wait for the right friend to appear because Christ also invites us. We're not lovable, nor worthy, and yet he received us gladly. Which leads us to our final point. Nourishment for gospel-centered friendship. Pastor John, How can I be sacrificial, be an intentional friend? I mean, I'm tired of speaking to this friend's life. I'm exhausted. He's he's not changing. She's not changing. I'm honestly, you know, just unwilling to do it. I've been disappointed when I shared something personal with them, etc., etc. We need to be nourished by our greatest friend, Jesus Christ. Jesus fuels our gospel-centered friendships. How does our best friend, Jesus, accomplish this? Well, let me go through some various ways. Jesus not only sacrificed himself for us, but he constantly invites us to turn to him at any time. Any time. He is our greatest sympathizer, as we have sung in Before the Throne, that we need when we go through the toughest of times. He is our greatest lover, greatest neighbor, who cares for us. He will never disappoint. How do we know this? How can we experience this tangibly? Church, have you turned to him as your friend? Or is Jesus some distant historical figure that you kinda know about? Fellow Christians, if you think that Jesus is like this, you haven't truly turned to him at least in a long while. Turn to him in prayer. Are you running dry? Turn to Jesus. Are you feeling discouraged because your friend betrayed you or disappointed you? Are you having trouble being a good friend to those around you? Turn to your best friend, Jesus, in prayer. Are you burdened by the worries of the world? Jesus lifted the burdens by securing your greatest worry, which is your eternal destiny, by the way. Hell was our destiny, and now eternal presence of God is now our new destiny. What more could we worry about? What is the worst-case scenario? Nothing in Christ. So turn to this Jesus in prayer. Are you burdened by your sins, mistakes, and wrongdoings? Our best friend Jesus lifted that burden by nailing all of our sins and wrongdoings on the cross. And now you and I can freely ask for forgiveness from those around us, knowing that ultimately our greatest friend forgave us, even when they might not forgive you. So turn to Jesus in prayer. Church, the reality is that our horizontal friendship was not ultimately meant to satisfy our own longings because we have all of that in our greatest friend, Jesus. And of course, our earthly friends will disappoint us. They are not God. They weren't designed to to do that for you. You're demanding perfect loyalty, perfect goodness, perfect sympathy from fellow sinners. Why do you think you're so disappointed? Isn't that obvious? But we can demand perfect loyalty, perfect goodness, perfect sympathy from our friend Jesus, you will never be disappointed. Are you feeling lonely? Jesus Christ truly became lonely. He was denied, betrayed, abandoned by his closest friends. Not only that, his own father in heaven turned his face away, rejected him, denied him. He did all of this so that you and I would never be alone, so that we would never be denied, never be betrayed, never be abandoned by our God. Even if our close friends betray us and deny us, Christ, our closest friend, remains loyal to us. Even if we have become unfaithful to Jesus, he remains faithful to us. What more must Christ do to remind us to turn to this good friend that we have? How do we love our imperfect, sinful, inconsistent friends? By looking to the perfect, sinless, consistent friend, Jesus Christ, who loves us with the eternal love. We love not just as he loved us, but we love because he first loved loved us 1st John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers Jesus did not simply lay down his life for his friends but for his enemies that's who we were what do people usually do when something crazy happens they immediately go to their family call their friends closest friends but church who do you turn to first in the midst of the heat the hardships of your life we need to make a habit of turning to jesus even right after you fall into sin temptation run straight to jesus there's no reason for you to feel shame or guilt because jesus has covered it all So let's draw near to our friend in prayer, shall we? Let's bow our heads. As the praising comes up, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps it's been a while since you've turned to Jesus. Perhaps you haven't prayed at all this week or um, at all in a long while and, You know, yeah, I I understand there are weeks like that. There are times when we're busy or when we're so distracted, when we're so pressured by the world. But can I encourage you that Jesus invites us for that very reason, when you're pressured, when you feel depressed, when you feel empty, when you feel bored, all of these moments Jesus is saying, come to me. I will sympathize. I will love you. I am your greatest friend. So church, can we take just a moment or two, can we turn to Jesus in prayer right now? And you can use the words that are in your hearts freely, however you wish. Our God invites us to confidently come before him and just talk. What a friend that we have in Jesus, church. Let's do that for, a minute, for about a minute or two. And then afterwards, we'll close in, uh, in a song. Please feel free to continue praying to turn to Jesus. And for the rest of us who are finished, let's rise from our seats as we close our time with a song of praise. What a friend that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's rise from our seats.
2: Our sins increase and
1: receive our benediction can invite you church let us give everything to our lord in prayer it is a privilege for us so about for for about a minute let's turn to our lord jesus our precious jesus our savior king our shepherd our shelter and our friend let's turn to him